You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. Clostridioides difficile infection, also known as CDI, is the most common healthcare-associated infection in the United States. CDI is associated with considerable morbidity and mortality for affected patients and contributes over $4 billion to U.S. healthcare costs annually. CDI involves disruption of the healthy gut microbiome, usually with broad-spectrum antibiotics that allow for C. difficile spores to germinate and cause disease. The antibiotics used to treat CDI have in vitro activity against not only C. difficile, but other healthy gut microbes as well. This causes further disruption to the microbiome, leading to unacceptably high rates of recurrent CDI. It is imperative that pharmacists are well-informed about CDI, the risk factors for incidence of recurrent CDI, the negative impact on the patient quality of life, and economic burdens on the patient and the healthcare system. Pharmacists need to be familiar with the limitations and challenges associated with current treatment and the need for novel therapies to address these challenges. This podcast will review the current state of CDI and discuss emerging microbiome-based therapies. Here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, often considered the next great leap in science, the role of the microbiome in human health and disease is propelling therapies in the 21st century and beyond. This is quite interesting. I've heard of this before, and we have a special guest that's going to help us unpack this today. But C. diff infection, or simply CDI, is often considered the ultimate microbiome disease. And today we're going to explore the current state of C. diff infection and how the microbiome may cause a paradigm shift in our understanding and treatment of this devastating infection. I'm excited, as anyone that knows me and listens to our show in PTCE Pharmacy Connect, thank you so much for bringing us another incredible guest. My heroes are my favorite providers, the pharmacist, and we have Dr. Kevin Gary here today, PharmD. Welcome, Kevin. How are you? Hi, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So, boy, the word that... Uh, everyone knows that I can't say, so all the pharmacists out there who are laughing right now, talk to us about C. diff, the infection of C. diff, the overview of the function of the gut microbiome. Just set the stage for us, uh, Kevin. Uh, sure, I will do. Uh, so, you know, your opening statement was perfect, a great leap, uh, kind of discovery of the microbiome. And so microbiome is, is the, the bugs, the, the microorganisms that live in and on our body. And, and it's a really big change. So the gut microbiome, the bugs that live in our large intestine, by far are the, uh, the, are the most plentiful in, in, our, in, our, in our body. And they're responsible for an awful lot of human health, uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and certain infectious diseases. 
And the poster child of microbiome-related diseases has been C. diff infection even before we knew what the word microbiome was. And, and so essentially, we give antibiotics uh, to cure some sort of an infection, and hopefully they work to cure that bug we don't want there. But then they also kill the, our healthy microbiota, our, our good bugs that live, that live in our gut. And then that allows uh, bugs that we don't want, uh, C. diff, for example, to either uh, emerge and grow or overgrow and cause disease. And so with that knowledge, you can think of a lot of problems with C. diff infection. It, it's, uh, it's an infectious disease, so we need antibiotics. But are those antibiotics also killing the good bugs that we want to have around to prevent C. diff in the first place? So I think that's what you and I, Todd, are going to explore today, go down that road of what's the best way to treat a C. diff uh, and helping to pr protect our microbiome. Uh, it's an area I'm passionate about, and I'm happy to talk to you uh, about it today. Dr. Gary, I was shocked when I realized that this was such a common and very serious issue within hospitals throughout the country where there are infections that are acquired and are, you know, the, the, the patient um, gets based on being in another, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's, it's happening there at the hospital. And that worries many people, I'm sure, that are listening to this. But from the pharmacist's perspective, health institutions have gone to great lengths to prevent and treat C. diff and even prevent C. diff. Could you give us an overview of that current state and I've even kind of read some of our notes about the burden and the, and the statistics, which is shocking to me as well. So let's unpack a little bit of that for, for the audience as well. Sure. Well, let's start with some statistics, and I'll give you sort of a, a personal anecdote as well. So at number, number one hospital-acquired infection in the USA, what that translates to is 400 to 500,000 cases per year in the U.S., per year. And that will be about... Two thirds of that will be patients with their first occurrence, so about three hundred thousand, and then uh, the other third patients will have had multiple episodes of C diff, something known as C diff recurrence. Uh, so it, it's a lot. Bottom line, uh, if you're thinking of healthcare expenditures, uh, it's everywhere from one to seven billion dollars per year, and sort of every study kind of pushes that number up. No new study ever pushes that number down. So it's not going away, it's getting worse. There's a wide spectrum of disease states and is from, from mild diarrhea to, to death. And, and the mortality really impacts the elderly. If, if you're over 65, your likelihood of dying from C. diff is, is tenfold to a hundredfold higher than younger, younger age groups. So it's especially problematic in the elderly. And regardless of age, it has a huge influence on, on quality of life. If you looked at patients with C. diff um, about six months after their initial infection, about 10% of them will actually self-report having irritable bowel disease, IBS, a chronic disease state that they did not have before uh, C. diff infection. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of other things called functional GI diseases, uh, chronic constipation, chronic diarrhea that doesn't meet the IBS definitions. Another 10% will, 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 will report like functional GI diseases. 
and then personally, I, 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 I help to do a, a number of quality of life studies now. And the quality of life of C. diff patients is, is not an acute event. It can be very persistent for months to not years, even if a patient doesn't experience a recurrence, if you can believe it. And I, I developed a, a C. diff uh, quality of life survey a number of years ago. And, and one of the questions that, that patients wanted me to include on, on the survey was, do you ever wish you were, you were dead? And so I think that the patient perspective of this is sometimes lost. And I, I like to bring it up that this is a disease state that's, that's hard on the healthcare system, hard on providers, and especially hard on patients as well. So it's an important topic to talk about. So now we're going to shift into one of my favorite parts of our discussions, and that is the actual treatment. So I'm thinking of all the pharmacists out there who have experienced this in community settings, um, in the health system, hospital settings. What are the goals of treatment and some of the challenges with the current management of C. diff? So I guess here, let's start off with sort of the role of the gut microbiome. And, and we'll talk a little bit of pathophysiology and some more stats. And that's really going to help us to like understand the therapies better. So let's just pick vancomycin, for example, is the most commonly used antibiotic used to treat C. diff. And, and back to that discussion of the microbiome, van vancomycin has great activity against C. diff. So it's a good antibiotic to use to kill the organism. But unfortunately, it also has great activity against your healthy gut microbiome too. It's essentially the, the nuclear bomb of antibiotics to disrupt a healthy gut micro, microbiome. So if you give somebody vancomycin, for example, they'll, they, they'll, be, they'll have an initial clinical response 80 to 90% of the time, which is great. But 25% of the time, one in four patients, the disease will come back. So that in no means means cure to, to me. If, if flip a coin and one in four, you're going to, the disease comes back. It's got an unacceptably high recurrence rate. So just to talk pathophysiology for a second and some other problems with the microbiome, like how come? Like, like what is it about these bugs, these healthy bugs that prevent C. diff from growing in the first place? And so when you give a drug like vancomycin, you kill uh, some terms of some, some taxa of bacteria called firmicutes, bacteroidetes, actinobacteria. These are, these are terminologies that we're gonna have to get used to because these define a healthy gut microbiota. And then you get overgrowth of something else called proteobacteria. And that you will recognize because within proteobacteria is E. coli, Klebsiella, Pseudomonas, these drugs that we, that we commonly associate with infectious diseases, also that overgrowth helps to allow C. diff to grow. And the understanding of what's happening is really awesome. We know that certain firmicutes uh, break down something called bile acids from primary to secondary bile acids. You know, bile acids from being secreted in the liver help us control cholesterol. They also help us control C. diff. And when you lose certain bacteria in your gut, you change the composition of bile acids and it allows C. diff to grow. Now, everyone always says you need a high fiber diet. Well, I 
why do I want to eat a high fiber diet all the time? Well, for one reason, certain bugs in your gut break down that fiber into short chain fatty acids. And ironically enough, those things that produce butyrate and other short chain fatty acids is, is actually the food we need to have a nice, healthy colonic epithelial cell line. And guess what goes away with high risk antibiotics like vancomycin? Those exact same things. So it, it, the pathophysiology of how the microbiome is changing and then what we can do to prevent those changes has really influenced uh, what we do to, to treat our patients for C. diff and other disease states as they're coming along. So Dr. Gary, as you mentioned in preventing C. diff reoccurrence, that's a major goal of treatment. Can you discuss and kind of unpack that that specifically and what those challenges are with uh, C. diff reoccurrence? Absolutely. And, and now we can get into it. Now that we kind of, okay, so a changing microbiome is, is not good for the most part. And we want to then either prevent that from occurring even more, preventing that continued destruction of the microbiome, or ideally uh, replenishing it, which is, I think we're going to get to in sort of another meaty section of this podcast. So let's expand the antibiotics first and foremost. So metronidazole, which is not recommended anymore for the treatment of C. diff, but is still used, also has that same uh, high risk of continued destruction of the microbiome. And then it's probably then no surprise that it also has a very high recurrence rate of almost exactly the same of vancomycin of about 25%. So that, that's where the, the newer antibiotic comes in, fidaxomycin. It's got a narrower spectrum, less damage to the microbiome, and therefore a lower recurrence rate, usually around 11% from clinical trials. Now, just that knowledge alone, if you ask the question, hmm, if I have fidaxomycin, would the addition of vancomycin be, be any better? And the answer would be no. Assuming that fidaxomycin can kill the bug fine, you would never want to add on another antibiotic that kills the microbiome more. And you can expand that thought to all antimicrobials and your stewardship efforts in terms of, can I get rid of any other antibiotic that might be continuing to kill the microbiome to be as narrow spectrum as possible to take care of the disease, the C. difficile infection. Now, one more expansion, and then we can go into some future therapies. Is there novel ways we could give our existing antibiotics that continue to kill the C. diff, but don't harm the microbiome? And then you're going to get into, well, that's where the pulse taper vancomycin comes from but you still wonder if that's a lot of destruction to the microbiome, even if you give a lower dose less often. So what about using fidaxomycin, but in a more of an extended regimen? And there's a recent clinical trial that did just that. Instead of a 10-day course, they expanded it out to several weeks with, ironically enough, an even better response rate than earlier clinical trials. We can see a future where we maybe use our own immune system to help us or maybe try to replenish the microbiome. And that gets us into, I think, part two of this podcast today. 
So there's been a lot of research, and and I want to just want to pause for a second, and and I've heard more about gut health in the last five years than I've ever heard throughout my entire life. Where we're really starting to drill down and pay attention to this, and the research that you just mentioned, as well as other journal articles and and even news articles that have come out about gut health. The the world of Instagram, for example, is just has a ton of pharmacists who are very concerned with gut health as a part of overall health and how the gut microbiome and how it there's a disruption that contributes to the pathogenesis of various diseases. So what roles does the gut microbiome play in the development and reoccurrence of C. diff? Well, Todd, I will just, I'll give you a, an expanded answer to that just for a second, because that gut health that you mentioned is truly awesome. And I do wonder, instead of talking microbiome, we should talk gut health. It, it reaches out to people better. And I, I will just talk about the gut-brain access for a second. So, so if, you, if you remember, I said the quality of life of C. diff patients is, is very poor and, and it can persist for a long time. And the answer is why? And it might be actually gut health. And so we have, a, we have a great connection between our gut and, and our brain. And you, you know that every time the lunch bell rings and mm, I got to go get some, get a Big Mac or whatever. Like a lot of what we think is, is instinctively comes from our gut. And very specifically, it comes from certain uh, metabolites and mediators that are produced by the organisms in our gut. Serotonin, for example, which we'll mostly recognize, 90% of serotonin is made by gut microorganisms. And so it's, it's often thought that that continued disruption of the microbiome, that dysbiosis, leads to a, a disruption in your gut-brain access. And, and that's noted by, by the anxiety that, that patients with C. diff feel. And they often feel that for a long, persistent time period uh, long after the C. diff has gone away, but most likely the, the dysbiosis remains. So, so you hit the nail on the target when you said that. Well, Dr. Gary, earlier you were talking about treatments, and I found it fascinating how, you know, the, the invention, the discovery, the usage, and the evolution of um, antibiotics has been a life changer, a game changer, uh, saving millions of lives. And you were making comments about the the pros and cons of of treatment. So, how do therapies to treat C. diff inter interact with the gut microbiome? Well, I think, and maybe we can take the, what I've said before, and we'll expand it back into it. So, obviously, uh, the antibiotics we use, uh, we know in terms of disruption to the microbiota, vancomycin, metronidazole, large disruption. Fidaxomycin, the, the newer antibiotic, less disruption than that. So, so in the antibiotic development field, then the goal is to have the least amount of disruption or a favorable activity on the microbiome while at the same time still obviously you have to kill the bug, killing the C. diff. So I'll just give you two examples in clinical development, uh, one in phase three, one in phase two, uh, ridinilazole. Uh, is a very, very narrow spectrum antibiotic uh, such that it call, uh, kills C. diff and maybe two or three other microorganisms from the 10,000 plus in your gut. 
And so that that phase three study should be out fairly soon. And it just is an illustration of, of what drug development is trying to do. Another one called Abezapolsat, both I've worked with in the past. It actually has a very selective um, spectrum of activity in that it allows one certain type of your health of microbiota to grow, the actinobacteria, while killing certain components of another, the firmicutes, that, in, that includes C. diff. So the, another pathway would be, can we tailor our antibiotics to selectively kill certain things that we want gone while pr promoting regrowth of something else? So drug development in this space is, is awesome. Now, to finish off the pharmacology section, maybe before we get into the microbe replenishment section, the other thing within C. diff is if we mount a good immune response, we can actually prevent C. diff infection ourselves. And that's usually some antibody response to the toxins of C. diff. And so, so the, the future is today. There's already a monoclonal antibody directed towards toxin B of, of C. diff, and that, that's called bezlotoximab. Many people will be familiar with that. It's designed specifically to prevent recurrence, and one infusion stays in the body for about three months, and that's generally when you're at high risk for recurrence. So, so that, 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 that antibody, bezlotoximab, was developed specifically in mind to kill the toxins of C. diff. It's not an antibiotic, so it will have no effect on the microbiome, which is, which is a great thing. And then one further step, and the next step down the road, then you'd say, well, what about a vaccine? And yes, indeed, there is at least one vaccine candidate directed against the toxins of C. diff in phase three clinical development. So this thought of the microbiome really is on the top of everybody's mind, whether or not it's, a, it's an antibiotic development or some ancillary pharmacological development, uh, prevention of microbiome is, is key measure number one. Dr. Gary, let's shift gears for a second and discuss some of the emergence, emerging pharmacological therapies in, in the microbiome product therapies that are in development and, and how they work. Well, that sounds great to me because I like that area too. <laughs> so, so we said that, um, like it, that the microbiome was the great leap in science. And then the whole first part of this podcast has been how how C. diff is caused by a disrupted microbiome. So it's a very logical leap to say, well, then everybody, let's replace that microbiome. Sounds like a good idea to me. And you would be totally 100% that that is a good idea. Now, exactly how to do that is really cool and a big time emerging field. So, so this is where fecal microbiota transplantation comes in, FMT. And this was revolutionary to medicine in that there is awesome science as well as awesome clinical response rates that this FMT changes the microbiome. And it also has very positive effects on patients, prevention of recurrence, in patients that really were impossible to cure before we, we started using FMT. Now, obviously the only problem with a fecal microbiota transplantation 
is the F in that. Uh, people get turned off, rightfully so, by the word feces, because who wants to get someone else else's feces infused into you? Arguably nobody. <laughs> so the other problem with FMT is you can test for an awful lot of other microorganisms or other things that you don't want there, other MDR organisms, Salmonella, Shigella, maybe even some pharmacologicals you don't want. But you can only test for what you know, and there might be some emerging uh, antibiotic resistance genes or whatever that are in there. So FMT was a revolutionary step forward but there was always going to be a second generation FMT or biotherapeutics, which replaced all the risk of the F, replaced the risk of not knowing what else is in there. And so it's a booming, booming field. So if you think of F, if you think of microbial restoration, let's call it that. Well, if I had like a single bug that could replace C. diff, that sounds good. Or do you remember in my pathophysiology, I said there's certain bugs that help bile acids and there's certain bugs that help short chain fatty acids, or there's a certain consortium of organisms that are really directed towards this C. diff disease state. Well, that would be cool. Or remember we also talked about that, that the gut microbiome is involved in diabetes regulation and cardiovascular disease and cancer. So if you had a very broad spectrum uh, F microbial consortium that could not only cure C. diff, but may have other advan advantages as well, that would be a great thing. And so in, in, the, in, in the antibiotic world, we often talk about narrow spectrum and broad spectrum antibiotics. Ironically enough, in the biotherapeutic microbial restoration world, we are essentially talking about the same terminology again. It's, it's really interesting how the how the old has become the new. What about breaking it down by the agent? Could you describe more about each of the agents? Absolutely. And this is where sort of what I think a pharmacist is going to have to know. The, the 21st, maybe 22nd century pharmacist is going to have to be able to split these. So if you think, let's start with the, with the singles. And so this is in development. But in, in, the, in the bug, Clostridium difficile, C. diff, the bug itself actually doesn't cause the disease. It's, it's the toxins that, the, that C. diff produces that causes the disease. And you actually know how those toxins are made in the bug through something called the PALOC, the pathogenicity locus. It's a gene cluster in C. diff. And there's lots of C. diff out there that doesn't have that pathogenicity locus of the PALOC. So instead of, instead of feeding somebody C. diff, you could actually just feed somebody this non-tox C. diff and then displace the C. diff and potentially cure disease. And there's a great phase two trial demonstrating that. And then that product, I think, is try, trying to get into phase three. So that, that's a good example of single species. And then there's lots of emerging research on uh, favorite bug number one that might do the, the same thing, but that non-tox C. diff is the best bet. So in terms of the broad, in terms of like, if you could find the healthiest donor in the world and, and spend a zillion dollars workup, 
go find Usain Bolt, the healthiest runner in the world, and uh, and and do everything you could to like standardize the processing of that microbiome. And then it would be a lot by lot, and that could be FDA regulated. That that's 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 one source of of my, microbial restoration, and 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 companies like Rebiox, Faring, and Finch, they have these broad based microbiome products that are distinguished by like the route of delivery and enema versus an oral capsule. And so it's, it's going to get down and distinguishing from these broads of what is the route of delivery that you need and what is the palatability of the oral pills. There's gonna be some really interesting nuanced conversation ar around the broad. And then you could run studies that say of the 10,000 plus species within your gut, what's the 10 to 12 most important that help you either prevent C. diff in the first place or prevent uh, recurrent C. diff? And that would be an, another company called Vedanta it has this consortium agent. And that's the, the interesting there. There's going to be fewer number of organisms, probably easier to manufacture. Uh, there would be not the same benefits of a broad base, but not this. But obviously, few less risk because that all, all those bugs you're giving, you don't know exactly what they're all doing. And so then, how that then kind of finds its niche, single organisms versus consortiums versus broad, that's going to be just an amazing amount of research and amazing amount of clinical applications that help us decide all this. But I think for practicing pharmacists who want to know the area, if you can start in the single consortium and broad, narrow versus broad spectrum, I think that's going to really help you to, to keep track of all these emerging therapies. Kevin, I was really looking forward to this discussion with you because I was fascinated by hearing about fecal matter transfer, fecal matter transplant on a, another show that I was watching on Discovery, which was about advancing technologies in, in modern day and even how artificial intelligence is going to start taking some of that data and, and trying to put outcomes together much faster than what humans can do. And so that really fascinates me. So how do these microbiome based products differ from the currently available FMT? Well, first and foremost, uh, regulation and safety, I think is going to really define them, that their, their, their manufacturing processes have to be up to a regulatory standard set by the FDA. So you can be assured that what's supposed to be in there is, is in there. And just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, what's not supposed to be in there is not in there. So I, that's, that's really the leap. And I think that's maybe the most important leap. Now that we know that, we can use exactly what you said, machine learning, artificial intelligence, population health, to even improve upon these products to make them even better. But starting with a, with a standpoint of we know what's in there, we know what's in there is safe, and if something emerges, we can know why that happens. That's going to be a huge leap in the science and the, and the health applications for, for all of these products. 
All right, so how do you foresee these products being used in practice? And, you know, how will they impact the current treatment landscape? Well, first and foremost, think of C. diff in three buckets, sort of as, as we described. So C. diff infection, it's, it's a dysbiosis disease. So restore the dysbiosis or at least prevent it from getting any worse. Number two, kill the bug. Number three, augment the immune response if you can. And then you immediately see that all these new microbial restoration products firmly are planted in the get rid of the dysbiosis section of C. diff. But then you also see that if you're if you need to use an antibiotic that has a lot of disruption to the microbiome, vancomycin, for example, well, then this is going to be a very helpful product because it's going to then prevent the damage that you've caused by prescribing this agent. So it's going to overlap between the two. Last but not least, it's going to be part of our decision-making process. If you have a very elderly patient that would have a hard time making an antibody response, for example, and hasn't had heavy antibiotic exposure in the past, something that augments the immune response would be the way to go. There's low toxin now. If you have somebody that has a heavy antibiotic exposure and therefore a known disruption to the microbiome, well, that's the person you're going to pull the microbial restoration product out because that's where their problem lines up. So knowing the pathophysiology of the disease state is going to really, really help us to figure out how and when to use these, these products. So that really sounds like some really promising therapies. And that's when my, my favoritism of our healthcare providers, our pharmacists come back into, into question as the center of all this. With these promising therapies, what does that mean for our pharmacists? Well, obviously, I've drank Kool-Aid, too, and I kind of like the pharmacy profession as well. But, but I, I think if we are the therapeutic experts, yep. then we can take care of personalized medicine. That's, that's what we do. Why should you get this and the next person that rolls in the door get something else? And I, I think in the C. diff disease state, we certainly can own the antibiotics the 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 immune system augmenters and there's no reason why we can't own the microbial restoration like like knowing when where and why to use these things is our bread and butter and i think the knowledge of this type of podcasts and others can really translate into better patient care one topic that comes up frequently in the realm of C. diff prevention is the use of probiotics. And this is also very much talked about throughout social media, in blogging. I've seen it on LinkedIn. Is there a role for probiotics in all of this? Absolutely, first and foremost. Now, it, when I say biotherapeutics or microbial restoration, uh, if you really wanted to summarize that all the way down, you could call all of this a probiotic, uh, a living organism that enhances health is essentially the definition of probiotic. So what we're talking about is probiotics, which is fantastic. 
Now, the extension of that, why don't we all zip down to the local grocery store and, and grab a bunch of stuff off the shelf and start popping? <laughs> and, and it is really, really complex is, is the answer of why that is so hard to prove that favorite probiotic on the shelf, number one, it's hard to prove the benefit. So three areas probably. Number one, not regulated, so we don't know exactly what's in there. And, and I've had some, some students in the past just grab some and see, if you say you have a billion organisms in there, how much are actually in that pill? And sometimes it's a billion, sometimes it's a million, sometimes it's a thousand, sometimes it's 10, sometimes you can't even grow the damn thing. <laughs> so the non-regulation portion of that, so you don't actually know what you're getting and or giving, uh, starts that off. And even these, these, these products under FDA indication development have had dose relationship problems. So that's one. Number two, if you have a healthy microbiome, uh, you haven't been exposed to an antibiotic recently, for example, it's remarkably hard to change your microbiota. That what you have is, is really, really resistant to change. And so even if there's a large amount of something in that probiotic you're giving, you might not be the person that, that needs it. And you essentially might be just pooping it out the other side if it's getting in there in the first place. So that's number two. And, and then number three, within the disease state, like what you actually need is very complex. Uh, we've talked about C. diff. You need something that breaks down the bile acids for you. It's helpful if you can reduce the starch into certain types of short-chain fatty acids. Like, there's a lot of biology into why these things benefit or not. And so number three in that coin, you have, assuming it works the high enough dose, assuming you're susceptible and you can actually get it in the first place, you have to have chosen the right one that's needed for whatever it is you're trying to get better. And 15 or 16 PhDs help that. <laughs> or you'd have to be really super lucky to choose the right one after you've taken care of item number one and two. So put that all together and that's the complexities of probiotic research. This has been fascinating. I'm. This is like one of those podcasts that you're going to have to listen to twice to really pick up all of the information. Really appreciate your insights, Dr. Gary. But when we're coming to the end now, we always like to end with what would you say is the single most important takeaway for our pharmacists listening in? Well, I maybe I'll go back to my initial comment, and that helps encapsulate a lot of this stuff. Um, think of your microbiome as, a, and as an important organ in your human body. You have your heart, lungs, brain, and microbiome. And then anything you can do to keep that microbiome healthy and or prevent disruption of that microbiome is good for human health. And I think with that thought process, you'll want to get up and you get out of bed early in the morning and learn about these microbial restoration therapies. Your antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist will uh, sing a happy song when they stop a carbapenem. Like I think there's a lot of downstream benefit from that realization. And, th and that can be the take home message from this, from this podcast. Dr. Kevin Geary, thank you so much for participating in this edition of PTC Pharmacy Connect. This was absolutely fascinating. Great. I'm happy to contribute.
listeners, we want you to engage with the PTCE Pharmacy Connect resources. You can find these podcasts on all of your favorite players. You can subscribe specifically to this PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. If you Google PTCE Pharmacy Connect, you'll find all of the connections, incredible uh, resources, including back at the pharmacytimes.org website. We thank you so much, pharmacists, for everything that you're doing for our country and for healthcare. If there's anything that we can do for you, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And thank you so much for listening today. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message.